With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And what is going on, everybody? My name is Aaron Arroyan, and welcome back to... The AKN Sports Podcast on this Friday, uh, June 10th, 2022, and it is NBA Finals game day, game four of the NBA Finals tonight at 9 o'clock in the TD Garden, Celtics leading the series two games to one, and really a must win for the Warriors, trying to avoid being completely pushed against the wall, and oh my goodness, is this game huge, right? It is really big for both sides. I mean, the Celtics, you win tonight's game, and you are in full command of winning this series and being NBA champions for the first time in 14 years. And for the Warriors, you you don't want to go down three games to one. So the importance level for this game for both teams is very important. Obviously, there's more pressure on the Warriors, considering they need to even the series up before heading back to San Francisco on Monday night. And... That's really that's all that has to be said. Now, before I get into my pregame thoughts for the game tonight, in case you didn't see my Instagram story, I did call in to Felger and Maz today. I did call in. Um, first time I ever called in to Felger and Maz, right? I, and obviously, it's supposed to be a Celtics pregame episode, which it is. But just let me let me talk for a bit. Um, so Felger and Maz, uh, you know, one of my favorite sports talk, uh, you know shows to listen to whether it's on the radio or when I'm home watching it on TV and you know I was just chilling with some some buddies earlier today and I was like you know what why don't I give Felger Bass a call so I I you know ended up calling giving my name whatever I was on hold for about like 50 minutes and then I wasn't expect like I didn't know what I was gonna say I was like man I I just want to get on the show I didn't know what the fuck to say but I ended up saying something what I think is pretty stupid and a dumb question and it was if the Celtics were to win this series and win it all this year is Jason Tatum a top five Celtic? And the reason that just popped up in my mind was because I saw a TikTok of it earlier today. And it's not the worst take, but I think it's kind of stupid. I mean, you know, we're talking about Jason Tatum in his fourth season as a Boston Celtic, fourth season in his NBA career. And without a doubt, if he wins this this, this title this year, it would be one of the most memorable championships in recent history. But I don't think that automatically makes you a top five Celtic. Now, I do think at the end of his career, though, I really do think he will be a top five Celtic. If he plays another 10 years here in Boston, he is a top five Celtic. Easily. Um, but when you're talking about some of the top five Celtics of all time, I mean, you know, we already know our top two 
are Bill Russell and Larry Bird, both of which are special in their certain ways. Bill Russell being one of the most impactful players of his era. 11 championships won. Uh, you know, Larry Bird, one of the greatest scorers in the history of the game. Arguably the greatest small forward. So the pressure that you have in one of the most talented organizations in NBA history, right next to the Lakers, I would say, it's very tough to get in there. So you can give that a listen. Uh, Felger and Maz, I was on there briefly, made a small take. They all said no. I agreed with them. It was a take that came off the top of my head, but I appreciate them giving me my time. That's all I'm going to say for that. Go look, give that a listen. It's on my Instagram story until later tomorrow night. But um, So anyway, we do have Game 4 of the NBA Finals tonight at 9 o'clock in the Garden. Now, what the Celtics were able to do that was really impressive to me in Game 3 was setting the tone early. I had said in my previous episode, setting the tone early, attacking the basket, and limiting those mistakes. And overall in this series, now that we've gone three games into this NBA Finals series, I think we can all say the Boston Celtics have been the better team in almost really every big aspect. I think they've been the tougher team. I think they've been the more aggressive team. I think they've been the more disciplined team, 100% more disciplined team. And I really think they've been the best team in terms of overall scoring. As I've said countless times, the reason the Celtics are in this situation now is, number one, their ability to bounce back after tough losses, but also how they spread the scoring margin so well. Every game you play this team, you don't know which guy is going to step it up. You would automatically assume it's going to be Jason Tatum, but we've seen the Celtics squeeze out games where Tatum drops 10 points. We've seen it before. Jason Tatum was on the, was on the top three scoring, you know, scoring list this season. And he's going to be the guy. But then you got Jalen Brown, who dropped 17 in the first quarter. Marcus Smart can get hot from downtown. Al Horford had a 30-point game. Don't forget about the bench with Derek White, Peyton Pritchard, and Grant Williams. That is what is scary about this team. Not only are they a fantastic defensive team, fantastic in transition, and overall a tough, gritty team, but they can spread the scoring margin. And that's where I talk about the Golden State Warriors, who have looked like the smaller and weaker team in this series. Heavily reliant on one of the greatest shooters, not even one of the greatest, the greatest shooter to ever live on the planet Earth of Steph Curry. Now, you are not going to win championships like that. The way Golden State won championships in 2017, 2018, 2015 was Two or three different guys playing at their best level. It wasn't just Steph Curry. There's a reason why Steph Curry has never won finals MVP. You got guys like Clay that step it up. When they had Kevin Durant, he stepped it up. Andre Godala, when Draymond Green was actually a relevant player. Or a useful player, if I should say that. That is the thing for the Warriors. Now, you look at a game like last Latin Game 3. You actually did get a good game from Clay Thompson, right? Clay Thompson at 25. The man was dropping in the single digits, shooting less than 30% from the field in games one and two. And he was on the hot seat 100%. And he stepped it up. He dropped 25. He had a good rhythm going in the mid-range. He was driving to the basket and drawing fouls. Klay Thompson looked very good in the game before. But it didn't matter because everybody else played terrible. Andrew Wiggins struggled. Jordan Poole, invisible. Everybody else on the bench, invisible. To beat the Boston Celtics, you need a wide scoring margin. You need a very good bench score, and the Warriors are capable of that. Game two, you saw the scoring margin. It wasn't just Steph going crazy in the third and fourth. Jordan Poole was going crazy. Andrew Wiggins was going crazy. And the Warriors are going to have to be the bigger and tougher team. Draymond Green's going to have to step it up 100%. 
we know the Warriors have been able to get things done without him. And he's been more of a, you know, kind of a floor manager, if you want to call it that. Defensively, he's been torn apart. They're giving him room to shoot. They need to play bigger and tougher. We know exactly what the Celtics have to do to squeeze out this game. And the golden word is turnovers. I mean, we've learned that game after game. If the Celtics limit those turnovers, I saw another stat. When Tatum has less than five turnovers, the Celtics are 6-0 and in their last 10. When he has five or more, they're on four. So that just shows you. When they're in transition, when they're trying to get locked in again, whether they're down or whether they're on a run, when they pile those turnovers, they panic. They panic, they panic, and they panic. In some scenarios, we've seen the Celtics bounce back in games like that. More times they've been able to respond and fight hard in the game than flat out just get beaten. I mean, the games where they failed to come back and really show a tough fight was game two of this series against the Warriors. I'd say probably game one against the Bucks. But every other loss that they have suffered in this playoff run, they've been able to bounce back pretty efficiently. So, hmm. That's all I got to say in terms of that. I mean, let's go to the Bucks series once again. Game one, turnovers, played sloppy, you know, allowing tough opportunities, not knowing what to expect defensively. Game three of that series, you went down 13 in the fourth quarter, came down to the last possession, not the greatest shot choices. Game five, double-digit lead, let that fly away. I mean, I don't even have to go through it again. You guys know what needs to be done. Now, the other thing has been, this has been a problem for the Celtics. When they get a very important win like that, with the exception of the Game 7s that they've had to win in, and listen, I don't think the Game 7 against Miami was the prettiest of Game 7 wins. In fact, it was the ugliest Game 7 win I've seen in a while. I mean, they were laying the ground, but Jimmy Butler went nuts. And they, cho- I mean, if they, had cho- if, if they had choked that game away, that is such a big what-if game. A very big what-if game. If they had choked that game, if Jimmy Butler hits that three, Celtics get the ball back, listen, things would have been very, very different. We'd be having much different discussions right now. But I'm just saying right now, the Celtics just need to stay consistent. There is a serious consistency problem. The Celtics play like a championship team, like a dynasty championship team, when their backs are pushed against the wall. We've learned that. But when it comes to playing consistent, this game tonight is so freaking important. It's so important. And the only time where they were able to play consistent and finish strong in a series consecutively was the Brooklyn Nets series. They couldn't do it against Miami. They did get two wins in a row against Miami when they won games four and five. And technically they won two in a row and they played Milwaukee. So if you can stay consistent, stay poised, come out with that same level of aggression, and fix those third quarter mistakes I mean, letting an 18-point lead slide like that and letting the Warriors get a one-point lead, as great as a win it was, you can't let your third-quarter collapses get the best of you because it will. It's hurt you. It hurt you in Game 2 against Miami. Game 1. Excuse me, Game 1. So I do have the utmost confidence. I personally am picking the Warriors to win tonight. I really just think the Warriors are going to come out with a very high level of aggression in this game. I think they're going to come out with a very high level of intensity that you would not be waiting for. That's just what I'm thinking. And the Warriors are going to even this thing up. That is my prediction. If the Celtics win tonight, the series is over. 
100%. There is no doubt in my mind, and in any realistic NBA fan's mind, if the Celtics win tonight, they are NBA champions. We know it. It's going to happen if that scenario happens. So if you stay consistent, come out with the same level of energy, be the bigger and tougher team, and limit turnovers, you will have a 3-1 to lead. Robert Williams is healthy. You have no more limitations. He played an unbelievable game in Game 3. Now, Golden State, in terms of player rotation, I don't know what to expect. Is Jonathan Kaminga going to get in the mix? That's been one thing that Warriors fans have been complaining about, was their bench rotation sucks. Because the only player that's been able to score, period, off their bench is Jordan Poole. And Otto Porter, I'll give Otto Porter some credit, but Bielitz is doing nothing. They're not playing Kaminga. They have Igadala out there for some reason. I don't know why. So someone's going to have to step it up. And I do think the Warriors might throw in Jonathan Kaminga. Just saying. So that's all I got for today. Game four, NBA Finals tonight at 9 o'clock with the Celtics leading two games to one. Let's go, baby. Um, I do also want to talk about the Red Sox because they unfortunately did lose last night. They, did, they got the series win against the Angels, but unfortunately did not get the sweep. And the Angels' 14-game losing streak came to an end, unfortunately. That sucked. Um, so the Red Sox ended up losing last night 5-2. to two. I did actually watch a little bit of this game, but um, it, was, it was an interesting one. The, the, the Sox actually struck first in this game. Bobby Dahlbeck hit a sacrifice fly to center in which Cord- uh, Franchi Cordero scored. So the Red Sox were actually up 1-0 in this game. But then I actually saw this. Shohei Otani hit a two-run homer um, and put the Angels up 2-1. to one. Now, I saw this. Pavetta was on point. I think Pavetta had 11 strikeouts in this game. He was really solid, but that, oh man, that that home run completely messed him up. I mean, he was throwing beautiful curveballs and knuckle curves and fastballs prior to that two-run homer from Otani. But as soon as Otani hit that bomb, 394 feet, Pavetta was done. So, and that was a freaking bomb. So, Angels were up 2-1. to one. Then Velasquez hit a three-run homer, put the Angels up 5-1. to one. And then in the eighth, Verdugo singled to center, in which a Royal scored, and the Sox were, were uh, put, you know, cut it to five to two. So that, that's how it went. I thought that home run that Pavetta coughed up in the fifth with Otani was really the, you know, the play that kind of, you know, clicked things down for Pavetta. So uh, tough one right there. I mean, the hitters were a little bit quiet. And once again, with Kike on the injured list, he's on the ten day injured list. The the rotation's a little odd because you had a Royal on second. He was one for four of the run. Devers was 0 for three. He sucked. Again, Otani pitched a pretty good game. You know, in the fourth, fifth inning when the Sox brought in that first run, he was he had a couple of wild pitches. Um, JD was one for four. Verdugo was two for four with an RBI. Vasquez was 0 for three. Cordero was 0 for three with a run. Uh, Jackie was one for four. And Bobby Dahlbeck was one for three. And Arauz was 0 for three. And by the way, I don't know why Jonathan Arauz plays. He sucks. This was his first game, I think, since like the Yankees series to open up the season. He sucks. He's terrible. He's a terrible shortstop. He has terrible hands. He is horrible. And he's a terrible hitter, too. So, I mean, so Pavetta was off to a good start in this game. He pitched five innings, 11 strikeouts on 97 pitches. Did cuff up six homers in that in that two-run blast. So with a 3.7 ERA. And then um, Salamura came in. Man, he blows, too. He pitched one inning, coughed up a hit, brought in a run, and a strikeout with a 3.1 ERA. Then Austin Davis came in for an inning. He coughed up a hit with a strikeout, 1.5 ERA. And then uh, Hansel Robles closed it with um, two strikeouts on 17 pitches and a 2.5. So... 
yeah, that two-run blast hurt him. But um, still a great series win for the Sox. I mean, the Angels are going to win one of those at least in some way. So the Red Sox fell to 30-28, and 28, still two games above 500, and they're actually in Seattle tonight. So a new series in Seattle tonight at 10 o'clock. Man, who the fuck is going to be watching that game? It's going to be uh, Rich Hill versus Marco Gonzalez. Marco Gonzalez, who is 3-6 uh, and six this season. He has a 3.59 ERA, um, 57 innings pitched with 59 hits, 34 strikeouts, and 11 home runs, so eh, not the greatest, um, not the greatest to open up a series for the Mariners, so Marco Gonzalez, uh, no lineups are available for the Sox, but um, looking at the Mariners, and I believe the Sox played them a while ago at home, and the Mariners ended up winning that series, but this is the stat leaders for the Mariners, so A-U-A, I don't know how to pronounce his name, A-U- a. Eugenio Suarez uh, leads the Mariners in home runs with 11. Ty France has been great this season. He has a 327 uh, batting average, and he also has 38 RBI. So Ty France has been pretty solid this year. So um, game one of that series, it's a three-game series in Seattle. 10-10 tonight, Rich Hill versus Marco Gonzalez. I think it should be a pretty solid win. You've overcome the Mariners. You should be fine. And um, yeah, it should be a good one. And how about last night, man? I mean, does this shock anybody? Did this did, did last night's Stanley Cup playoff game shock anybody? In case you missed it, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning won three to one. So the Lightning have now won three games in a row, and they are just one win away from going to their third straight Stanley Cup final. I mean, did this shock anybody? The Tampa Bay Lightning. Did this shock anybody? Did it, did this really shock anybody? It, it hasn't shocked me. I don't think it shocked me. Period. It hasn't shocked me. So uh, the Lightning won 3-1. to one. I mean, once again, Vaz is playing ridiculous, and they're just putting pucks on uh, Chesterkin. And Chesterkin's cooled off. Way, nowhere near as dangerous as he was in the Carolina series or the, um, I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers in the, in the early part of this series. So this is how it started off. Ryan Lindgren actually opened up the game with scoring in the second period, put the Rangers up 1-0, but Mikhail Sergachev tied it at 1, then Palat made it 2-1, with two minutes left in the game, and then Brian Hagel made it 3-1. to one. So, I mean, they were just lighting it up on Vaz. Or, sorry, Shesterkin. Vaz had 24 saves. Did well enough. 24 saves on 25 shots. Sergachev was probably playing the game. He had a goal and an assist. Lindgren had a goal. So, I mean, for the Rangers, this is hard. This is tough. This is kind of like 2012 a little bit, right? Because the Rangers were, you know, up 2-0 against the Devils in the East Finals in 2012. Man. That's tough. That is hard. So it, it doesn't shock me. It doesn't shock me that Tampa Bay Lightning had done this. And I saw a really cool, um, you know, I think it was a tweet or a message that John Tortorella had saying if it wasn't for our sweep, because it was in 2019 when the, when, when the Blue Jackets swept Tampa Bay in the first round, that changed everything. I mean, that literally helped. And I think that was a major contributor for the Bruins going all the way to the Cup that year was the Tampa Bay Lightning getting swept in the first round. If it wasn't for that, man, they'd be on a they they would be they are just plowing right through, and they're doing this without Braden Point. Braden Point has been one of the most dangerous goal scorers in the playoffs the last couple of years. He's not even playing. It's crazy. So Rangers on the brink of elimination, Game Six in Tampa too. Oh, I think we might as well just be calling the series quits already. So the Lightning her one win away from going to their third straight Stanley Cup final shouldn't shock anybody, and uh, yeah. Taking a quick look around the NFL. I don't think anything's really changed. 
Nothing really. Um, the Raiders ended up giving Hunter Renfro a two-year extension, man. I had him in fantasy last year. He was a dog. Easily one of the best slot receivers in the game, one of the most efficient red zone receivers. Hunter Renfro is a monster. And to see him as a number two besides Devontae Adams is going to be interesting because Hunter Renfro was a hungry number one receiver last year with the Raiders. I love Hunter Renfro. Not not the, the right fielder for the Brewers and former Red Sox. No, the wide receiver Hunter Renfro. He is a dog. He's got great hands. He's good on special teams too. So two-year, $32 million extension for Hunter Renfro, who I believe was undrafted. I could be wrong. I, th- I think he was undrafted. So he's a dog. Great extension for the Raiders. Giants signed some dude named Keelan Doss. The Colts signed Brian Cox Jr. and Jason Spriggs. Uh, the Steelers brought in Joe Schobert for his. I mean, I remember he was a he was a dog with the Jaguars. Joe Schobert, he was a dog. I think he was on the Browns too. I could be wrong. I don't know if he was on the Browns. Um, I know he was on the Jaguars, and then he went to Pittsburgh last year. Went to New Orleans for a visit. And I, I think I mentioned yesterday the whole thing with, with uh, Jack Del Rio and the whole uh, January 6th comment that he had uh, during one of the press conferences. But uh, Del Rio ended up getting fined 100000 bucks for his comments. So a lot of people were saying he would get fired. I don't think that's enough to get fired. But damn, $100,000 fine. Whew. Damn, Jack. That's tough. <laughs> uh, the Patriots ended up signing someone today. They signed Tristan Visciano. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Tristan Visciano who uh, I believe was, you know, kind of a fill-in kicker for the Chargers. He was on their practice squad for a bit. And corresponding, the Pats ended up releasing Quinn Nordeen, who was the only undrafted pick they had last year. In 2021, the Pats had only one undrafted free agent, and that was Quinn Nordeen. He originally actually beat out Nick Folk for the starting kicker job in, uh, in the preseason last year, and then he ended up getting hurt, and then Folk had to play again, and he ended up having a phenomenal season. So uh, there goes your only undrafted pick from last year. So... Tristan Visciano, I have no clue if I'm pronouncing that right. So that is what's happened around the NFL today. And that is all I've got for today. Celtics, game four tonight, baby. Come on, get that 3-1 lead. Let's go Celtics, baby. Game four tonight. I'm Arnold Royan. Peace out. Go Celtics.